You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. Welcome. Um, Hopefully, wherever you're at, you A, have power, and uh, B, uh, are are keeping warm because we're recording this in the middle of the uh, deep freeze that most of the the U.S. seems to be in. Uh, If it makes anybody feel any better here in Iowa, we were dealing with with, uh, negative double-digit temperatures for several days and uh, cold enough that you really shouldn't go out for more than a few minutes. So so I I definitely feel you for, for, for those who are who are enduring some of the cold that we've had here. So I guess I guess the, the bad luck from 2020 hasn't exactly let up on us quite yet. Hopefully very soon, hopefully very soon. So anyway, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, if this is your first time, again, please, uh, we'd like to welcome you. If you're a long-term listener, welcome as well. Head on over to where you get your podcasts um, and uh, please like us, please subscribe to us if you haven't already done that. And most importantly, head over to our producer, CE Impact, and take a look at the wide range of great CE they've got going on, including CE for this. Uh, show and you just sign up for for a very reasonable fee, uh, which helps us keep the lights on here, but also uh, gets you some free CE uh, for 30 minutes at a pop uh, for hearing me blather on for for, for 20 minutes. I don't think you can get easier CE than that. So uh, head on over and do that and check out a lot of the other great uh, uh, CE programs they have as well. So today we are going to be talking about semaglutide. Um, um, Again, keeping our non-COVID streak going here, we're going to be talking about semaglutide. Uh, Many of you probably saw or heard about the STEP study, and we're going to take a deep dive into the STEP study of semaglutide in in, uh, obesity because uh, uh, many people are saying this is going to be a game changer. Um, And before we start talking about the study, I'm I'm, I'm being an old man. I I can kind of talk about my other experiences with the game changers for for weight loss we've had in the last uh, 30 years or so. Uh, That does make me a titch uh, cautious before uh, leaping onto this with both feet. But uh, reading the study, it is very impressive. And uh, um, it, this seems to, to uh, uh, really, uh, uh, you know, be a pretty effective means at, at, at keeping weight off at, for the long term. So, um, you know, we'll talk about semaglutide and, and why it would work and all that in just a second. Before we do, you know, just I, I don't want to go off into a huge rant, but but just to talk a little bit about, you know, you know what we've seen as far as weight loss. Of course, you know, I've always said to my students that that one of the the holy grails of of, of, of pharmaceutical manufacturing is the company that comes up for you know, comes up with a drug that either cures male pattern baldness completely, or is is terrific with with uh, weight loss. Because I mean, anyone who has those drugs are just going to make you know zillions of dollars off of them. And 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 so of course you know for you know we for a long long time have lo- tried to find uh, you know a safe and effective way for people to lose weight and keep them off with pharmacologic means. Um, certainly in the 70s, uh, you, I talked to some of my my uh, more veteran internists and 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 primary care docs, and some of you listening might remember that in the 1970s, it wasn't that unusual for physicians to to run uh, uh, weight loss clinics where they where they intentionally gave patients hyperthyroidism. Yeah, they would they would uh, give them extra thyroid uh, a, a drug to keep them basically hyperthyroid to, to lose their weight. And I you know I vividly remember some of my docs talking about yeah we're going to run them a little hot. And I'm like okay, <laughs> we didn't realize of course back then that, that was probably not a good thing for things like atrial fibrillation and, and and osteoporosis and fun stuff like that. But that was in fact a way that some 
people tried to attack uh, a weight loss in the 70s, of course, uh, you know, in the 60s and 70s, and even in the 80s, uh, amphetamines were used. And I don't need to belabor the, the, the issues associated with that. But that kind of led us into the mid 1990s where fenfen came out and uh, the, the combination of uh, fenfluramine and fenteramine uh, really was an, un, an unbelievable combination for weight loss. And I was working actually in community pharmacy at that time. I was, I was splitting my time between a hospital pharmacy and a community pharmacy doing pickup. And we couldn't keep it on the shelves. I mean, it was gone. And, and there wasn't a community pharmacy in my town that had any of this stuff. And, and people were saying, yeah, I've lost 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds on this stuff. And I feel great. I don't feel shaky. I don't have any, I'm not in, I don't have insomnia. This is terrific. Everything's wonderful. And, you know, of course, you know, the, the, again, kind of following what happened in the 70s, 80s, you would hear stories about how primary care docs would, would uh, start weight loss clinics where literally you walked in, got on a scale, and they wrote you a prescription and took your money. And it was kind of a rotating thing. And of course, we don't do that anymore because we found that it causes things like, you know, pulmonary hypertension and valvular damage and stuff like that. And so, you know, one of those drugs essentially got removed from the market. Um, and then, of course, throughout the 90s and 2000s, we had, you know, you know, several medications that are FDA approved and even today are FDA approved for, for, for obesity. Their big problems are is that they don't work very well. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're the studies that looked at them were either short term, which has always been an issue with with studies and weight loss. And one of the reasons why a lot of, of, of herbals and, and over the counter products can claim weight loss because they managed to cobble together the money to do a small study that, you know, for four weeks, people seem to, to, to lose, you know, lose a little bit of weight. And, and then they're able to tout that on their website and all that kind of fun stuff. So, you know, the, 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 the drugs that have, that, that have kind of been out since the, since the nineties to the last five or six years, they always were, they always suffered from, from methodological issues, like again, a very short follow-up. So it was hard to tell, are you going to maintain this weight loss long-term? We know that, that you know, just due to kind of Brownian movement of and and the placebo effect, that people will just you know, you start them on anything and they and and they pay attention to what they eat and maybe start exercising more. They do tend to lose some weight, and that's and that's often what you'll see. Um, or what you know, there'll be a slight diuretic in the drug, so they're basically losing water weight, and they're enough. That's enough to tout their over-the-counter medication to the ceiling and things like that. And and so you know, the, you know, we had that. You you had you know, herbal stuff like Garcinia, which people thought was terrific until it found out people's livers were exploding when they took it and, and, and things along those lines. So, you know, they, there was always safety issues. There was methodological issues. And even in the drugs that that looked pretty safe and, and looked like they were effective, they didn't work that well. I mean, you, you were lucky to get a five to 7% drop in patients' weight. Now that's good. I mean, any weight, weight decline is, is probably good, but in patients whose BMIs are 35, 40, 45, that just wasn't enough. And so, you know, we had that for a long time. In the early 2000s, it seemed like uh, drugs that affected the uh, can of, uh, can of cannabinoid system, the endocannabinoid system, I can talk, uh, seemed like it was going to be the, 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 the answer. And uh, I vividly remember uh, the initial phase two studies with uh, Recombiband coming out. And again, it looked data similar to what we're going to talk about here. People were losing 20, 30% of, the, of, of their body mass. They were feeling great. Everything was terrific. And then the drug never got approved by the FDA because they found an, a significant increase in depression and suicidality in patients. Honestly, that, that avenue of weight loss kind of seemed, kind of seemed abandoned. And that kind of brings us up to about five years ago or six years ago when the GLP-1 drugs came out. And of course, as we all know, the GLP-1 drugs are all FDA approved for, for, for type 2 diabetes, but um, we knew that, that that GLP also has a variety of effects. So, you know, GLP, of course, is, is an incretin mimetic. Incretin is a second messenger that you, uh, a hormone that your body secretes after you eat that tells your pancreas, hey, I just ate. 
ate, you may want to secrete some extra insulin to, to, to take care of the food I just ate, but it also has effects throughout the body. And, and, and in particular, one of the big effects it has is that it triggers the sati satiety reflex in patients who eat. So it tells you, hey, you're full, you don't need to eat anymore. And so it stood to reason uh, between that and some of the effects it has on adipose tissue that it, it, it may have an effect on, on weight loss. And, and they had found that in, in, in some of the phase two, uh, in phase three studies and in diabetic patients, they tended to lose weight. There was always this question with the GLP-1 drugs, you know, because nausea and vomiting is kind of their first big side effect. Well, gee, you know, if I'm nauseated and I, and I feel like I'm going to throw up, I'm probably not going to eat very much and I'm no wonder I'm going to lose weight. And, and some pretty elegant studies done, uh, particularly with, with uh, drugs like Victoza found that no, you know, even though the, that side effect, you know, fades away in almost everybody over time, the weight loss would accelerate or would be maintained. So, so it, it isn't at least, uh, uh, it isn't due to the side effect of nausea with the drug. It, it is this, this effect on satiety, basically, and this feeling of fullness. So, so that's kind of brings us to kind of where we are today. Certainly, you know, we, we know the GLP-1 drugs uh, um, can help with weight loss, and at least one of them is FDA approved for it. But uh, the, 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 even the study that got uh, Victoza approved for, for, for weight losses was a relatively small study, and it was, it was done over, over six months to a year. But it wasn't as big a study as the one we're going to talk about here, which is the STEP study. So, you know, after that kind of prelude, we can dive into the STEP study. This was a global phase three study um, uh, uh, looking at the efficacy and safety of semaglutide, which again is yet another GLP-1 drug. This was the subcutaneous form. Yes, I know that that that, that semaglutide is now the first oral GLP drug. Uh, that is not the form they studied in, in this. Um, it'll, I'm sure the, the company that, that produces this drug would love to be able to, to show that a pill would do the same thing. Uh, but they basically gave this, this drug 2.4 milligrams once weekly in patients who are overweight and obesity with or without weight-related complications. They included patients who were adults um, and, and uh, reported at least one attempt to, to, to just use dietary effects to lose weight. They had to have a BMI of 30 or greater or even just a BMI of 27 or greater with uh, a weight existing, coexisting condition like hypertension, dyslipidemia, obstructive sleep apnea, and cardiovascular disease. So um, again, these were not, you know, uh, 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 very, very obese patients. So keep that in mind. However, they did uh, include a, a, a patients uh, and um, who had high BMIs. And that was an, always another strike of some of the older studies uh, uh, with other drugs looking at weight losses. They would exclude patients who had a super high BMI. Um, in this study, they didn't do that. And so they actually uh, plan to accumulate a significant number of patients who had a BMI of 40 or greater. Uh, they also uh, uh, um, um, made sure that that uh, uh, they did uh, DEXA scans, take a look at body composition, and that'll come in important here in just a second. They excluded people with a history of pancreatitis. As we know, the GLP-1 drugs have been reported to cause pancreatitis, um, so that kind of makes sense. Uh, we know that GLP has something to do with gallstone formation, and so uh, it's not surprising that, that even in this study, they found an increase in people who had you know gallstone formation and gallbladder attacks. That's something we have to kind of be talking about to patients when we went, and, and thinking about when we're, we're using this medication. Uh, the drugs, of course, have a box warning for for uh, certain types of thyroid uh, medulloma cancer. So anyone with, with significant thyroid issues, they excluded from the study. Uh, unfortunately, they, they, they excluded people who had a uh, uh, history of depression within two years. That, that's kind of a bummer because I, you know, I think that's not an uncommon thing you're going to see in patients who are obese. Uh, the, uh, patients with a, 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 a creatinine clearance of less than 15 mils a minute. Anyone who had cancer within five years and of course, pregnant women. 
the study uh, was was uh, a fairly well done study, I think. So they started at a fairly low dose of 0.25 milligrams of, of semaglutide or placebo once weekly for four weeks. And then they increased the dose every four weeks to reach the maintenance of 2.4 milligrams once weekly. So again, only once a week shot, which is kind of nice and only and only a subcutaneous. The, the, uh, they had a co-primary endpoint in the study, which was a percent change in body weight from baseline to weight week 68. So again, the study went on quite a lot, quite a while and, and 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 uh, basically, you know, they they dialed in the the um, the uptick in, in 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 drug dosage and the uptitration of drug dosage, and then went kind of a year from there. So a fairly long study to demonstrate, you know, long term and sustained weight loss if that were to happen with this. And so uh, sixty eight weeks. So I think that again, that's I think that, that that's a good thing. Uh, they looked, of course, uh, at uh, the change in, in percentage change in body weight from baseline to week 68, as well as an achievement of at least 5% or more weight loss in weight 68. So basically, you not only had uh, to look at the percentage change and see if that was different, but you also had to have at least a 5% change in, in your body weight. Uh, then, as you might imagine, these kind of studies, they looked at numerous secondary outcomes. They looked at waist circumference. They looked at hemoglobin A1C, even though uh, 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 they did not look at diabetic patients in this study, which, of course, stands to reason because, you know, the, these patients would, would uh, we already know the drug works for diabetes. Uh, they looked at uh, the SF36, which is a, a pretty standard quality of life measurement in, in a wide variety of diseases. They looked at a DEXA scan and, and they, it was less for bone mineral stuff that they wanted to look at that too. They also want to look at body composition and see what type of, of tissue or what, what type of, 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 of weight loss was occurring. Was it lean body mass? Was it fat mass, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, it's general safety stuff. And I think since the, the FenFen debacle, I think FDA has actually been pretty good about, about in, um, demanding that, that, that extensive safety analyses, analyses be done uh, with, with, with weight loss drugs because they realize that the, the, the potential uh, misuse of these medications could, could be pretty bad. So there's as far as the results were concerned, again, I mean, I've read the study twice now. It's pretty impressive. So uh, they they had uh, 1,961 uh, participants randomized to read semiglutide um, uh, and or, or placebo. So they had 1,306 patients receiving semiglutide, 655 for placebo because it was a two-to-one study. 94.3% uh, of patients completed the trial. So a, a fairly high percentage. Again, an, an, a little bit unusual in a weight loss study. You know, in any sort of study that looks at, at lifestyle modification or changes, dropout is usually pretty heavy in it, but that's not what they found in the study. Uh, the, uh, on the whole, the, the trial population was mostly female, mostly Caucasian. 60% uh, of them had a BMI from 30 to 40. And, and pretty impressively, 30% of these patients had a BMI of over 40. So, I mean, this was uh, not patients who are five pounds overweight and big surprise, they lost weight. No, these were patients who I suspect most of you see in your practices all the time. Uh, about uh, three quarters of them had one other pre-existing condition, whether that be hypertension or dyslipidemia, some of the stuff we talked about before. And in fact, about a third of them had uh, one of those two diseases, either hypertension or dyslipidemia. And it worked. I mean, there's just, there's no, there's no other way to say it. Basically, they found sustained and continued weight loss through the study. And in fact, when you take a look, take a look at the Kaplan-Meier curves uh, from the study, uh, the, the, the separation of weight occurred, uh, occurred as quickly as week four. So, so people started to lose weight pretty
pretty much immediately when they started taking taking the medication. But basically, uh, you know, when you talk about, talk about percentages, the semaglutide arm lose, lost 14.9% uh, of their of their uh, body weight. Again, uh, high and, and higher than we've seen with most other drugs that 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 are FDA approved for weight loss, compared to only 2.4% of the of the placebo arm. Um, and and when you break down and, and do a deep dive in, into the results, uh, one third of patients actually lost more than 20% of their body weight. So a pretty impressive uh, weight loss um, um, uh, results from, from the study. And then of course, when they take a look at these, these other numerous uh, secondary outcomes, not a big surprise, they found that they all were improved when you lost a lot of weight. So uh, weight, circum uh, weight circumference was, was significantly lower semaglutide. Uh, it was 13.54 centimeters. For those of us thinking in inches, that, that means that you're losing around six inches from your waist. Um, I don't know about you, but that made me think I haven't lost, uh, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't fit into those size genes probably since I was in junior high school. So I was pretty pleased with that uh, compared with uh, 4.13 centimeters uh, in patients with placebo. Um, they uh, found the overall BMI dropped by 5.5 in the semaglutide group versus 0.92 versus placebo. Um, they found systolic and diastolic blood pressure was, was lower. They found uh, improvements in lipid profile. They found improvements in fasting blood glucose and hemoglobin A1C. Again, these patients didn't have diabetes, but even their hemoglobin A1C dropped. Um, the C-reactive protein, because we know that, that fat is it can be in, it cause an inflammatory uh, uh, state in patients. And when they did DEXAs on these patients, they found, I think, gratifyingly that that it was it was a, a fat that that fat mass that was being decreased. And in fact, lean body mass, which means you know basically protein muscle mass, actually increased in these patients. So uh, relative to 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 those to, to their fat mass. So basically, yes, they were losing weight, and the weight they're losing wasn't water weight. It wasn't 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 muscle. It was fat. So um, again, uh, very impressive. There was no uh, uh, um, uh, decrease in dex as far as bone mineral density or anything along those lines. Turning to safety, and again, I think this is going to be an important thing. Uh, they did find, as you would expect, more adverse effects in the semaglutide arm compared to placebo. Uh, about 75% of patients had uh, reported some effect. Almost all of it was gastrointestinal effects, and most all of them were was nausea and vomiting. Again, we know that's a very common side effect with these drugs and why we need to titrate up on these medications. Fortunately, uh, the, the overwhelming majority of them were, were mild to moderate in severity and were transient and resolved without any discontinuation of the regimen. They did find about 5% of patients uh, reported gallstone formation, gallstone pain, um, uh, compared to about 1% of patients with, 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 uh, with placebo. Now, again, when you lose a lot of weight, you tend to get gallstone. So is it you know, just the weight loss? Is it the drug? Is it both? It's hard to tell. But I think that is going to be a key thing we're going to want to talk to patients about, um, you know, is, is, you know, do they, if they have their gallbladder still, um, and, and, and they didn't, I don't remember reading in the study how many of these patients had, had, had a cholecystectomy or not, but, uh, you know, if they've had their gallbladder or they're, or they're likely to develop uh, gallstones or have had a history of gallstones in the past, I think that is going to be a safety issue we need to discuss with patients. Um, uh, but fortunately, only three cases of pancreatitis in the uh, uh, 1,306 participants with semaglutide were reported. None of them were serious. None of them resulted in death. So, um, you know, I think, I, I think the, the safety issue, you know, as with all large studies, you know, safety is always kind of underestimated. And I think uh, the pharmacists and, and prescribers out there listening, you know, will have to have a, a serious discussion with, with their, with their patients about the fact that, you know, you probably are going to feel nauseated for a few weeks when we start the medication, um, but that should resolve. But if you start getting any right upper quadrant pain, especially after you've, you know, had a fatty meal, 
which hopefully you won't be wanting to have a whole lot of fatty meals uh, when you're on this medication. Uh, you really need to, to let us know right away, and we may need to, to take a look. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if, and, and, I, and I have no doubt that, that there'll be some subgroup analyses of, of this study as time goes on. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, did if they could break things down by patients who already have their gallbladders out. My guess is looking at this patient population, again, mostly female, mostly in their 50s and 60s, that, that, that a significant number of these patients probably have already had their gall, gallbladder out. And are those patients who are at higher risk for getting gallstones on this regimen or, or pancreatitis? It'd be very interesting to see that. And then, of course, I, I hear all the pharmacists, or I don't really hear you, but but I'm thinking what you're thinking is, you know, okay, well, this is terrific. But uh, unlike FenFen, which uh, at the time was, was actually fairly inexpensive and most people paid cash for it, unless you're Bruce Wayne, that's probably not going to be happening here because uh, I just did a quick look over on a couple of websites and it looks like the cash price of this is, is going to be in the $1,000 a month range. And so um, unfortunately, uh, uh, without without a significant support from, from the company for patients who can't afford it, or without significant uptick and in coverage from, from, from insurers, uh, uh, the, a, a, a significant number of patients who could benefit from this is just simply aren't going to get it. Now, uh, I've read some, I've read some stuff, uh, including the, the, uh, um, editorial of, on this paper from the New England Journal and some of the questions they have again speak to safety but they also speak to the fact you know does, you know is you know is this regimen you know uh, the once a week regimen is could we go to every other week is, is that enough to, 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 to keep and maintain the weight loss of course I'm sure there'll be ongoing assessments um, of this of this study I'm, I'm sure they're gonna, there'll be probably an open label extension of this study where they're going to follow these people over over a long period of time and say have they maintain weight loss the people who are in the placebo arm did they gain the weight right back those are some questions I think we're, we're going to have to answer. It'd be interesting to see if, if it's sort of thing where you could take it, you know, every other week and that would definitely decrease the costs or, you know, uh, that patients, it would, it, it takes, you know, months for them to gain the weight back and then you could start them back on it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's, there's a lot of permutations and combinations that, that theoretically could happen. And we just don't know at this point. And, you know, we have to kind of go with what the studies show, which is, is this, is this weekly regimen that, that seems to be pretty effective, but cost as, again, as, as I'm sure all the pharmacists are, are thinking is just going to be a huge issue with this and, and um, unfortunately not an easily solvable issue because I'm, I suspect that many insurers are, are, are going to be hard pressed to put such an expensive drug on their formulary, even though you could take a step back and go, if it prevents these patients from developing diabetes, if it prevents them from, you know, have worsening coronary problems, et cetera, et cetera, doesn't that, you know, in the long run be a good thing? Is that, is that, does the, the, the cost then, you know, it, the cost of the drug is, is, is outweighed by the cost of these other issues? Um, that very might be the case, and, and I'll kind of leave it to pharmaco, uh, pharmacoeconomics studies to kind of take a look at that. So, so interesting study. Um, I suspect it, it did get a lot of, of media play, so I suspect that that you, uh, as a prescriber, as a pharmacist, may have already gotten questions about it. Um, if you have, you know, here's that's kind of the you know the bottom line is that yes, it seems to work very very well. I think we saw some questions about safety and, and costs is, is going to be a big issue, but uh, um, um, so hopefully some more answers to those questions will come as we go along. So we will wrap things up in just a minute, but first a, a word from our uh, producer, CE Impact. Game Changers discusses clinical guidelines and pharmacotherapy trends that significantly impact practice. Game Changers is produced and accredited by CE Impact and hosted by Dr. Jeff Wall. New episodes are released each week and available for pharmacy continuing education credit to CE Impact subscribers. CE Impact subscription service brings you the CE you need on the topics that matter the most. Check out the link to sign up in the show notes. 
Use code PODCAST for a Pharmacy Podcast Network discount. So is semaglutide the fen-fen of the 21st century? Well, I hope not. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, again, we weren't aware of, of, of the long-term side effects of, of, of fen-fen uh, when people started prescribing it like crazy. Um, I, you know, again, I think the difference between that combination and the GOP-1 drugs, we've had them out now for, for multiple years for diabetes, and we've not seen any weird or bizarre life-threatening side effects associated with them, except for this, this incidence of, of pancreatitis. Um, so, you know, unlike that combination, which kind of went from zero to we couldn't keep it on the shelves, uh, semaglutide is part of a class of drugs that we have now years of experience with. We know they work pretty well. So I'm not trying to downplay the safety of it. I do think we're going to need to keep an eye out for safety if, if thousands, if, if not hundreds of thousands of patients get put on this medication for weight loss. But uh, the bottom line of the STEP study is, is we, have, we have a well done, long study that shows that, that, that uh, this particular GOP-1 drug is associated with significant weight loss. In the, in the majority of patients who, who, who take it and the, and the safety so far seems to be pretty good. That does it for this uh, episode of uh, Game Changers. Again, please head over to where you listen to your podcast. Give us a like, um, uh, uh, subscribe, and uh, head over to see Impact to see what they've got. Thanks very much. We will catch you next week. And remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Take care.